would like to welcome all of you to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And especially if you're a guest with us tonight, we're really glad that you're here, glad that you would take time out of your Christmas Eve um, evening to come and, and uh, just be with us and sing some songs and open uh, the, the, the scriptures just for a few minutes here. Um, one of the things um, that I really want to focus on just for tonight as we observe the birth of Jesus um, is the, the, the verse in Isaiah 7, chapter 14. And the verses will be on the screens tonight. I don't have to chase those down in the Bible. So uh, Isaiah 7, 14. And this is a familiar verse that many of you have heard during this time of year. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And a lot of uh, Bible versions, uh, versions you'll, you'll look at would say next to Emmanuel, this means God with us. Right? So Emmanuel literally means God with us. And so when we know this, and kids, you, can, you, you know this as well, that when you love someone and you enjoy them, you want to be with them. You want to, to go to them. You want to spend time with them. You, you enjoy being around them when you love someone. And God's the same with humanity, his creation. And we see in, in Genesis 1 and 2, God creates man and woman, and he spends time with them. The way the world was created, it was perfect. It was perfect. There was no, there was no hurt. There was no brokenness. There was no heartache. There was no sin. It was God, Adam, and Eve, and they hung out together. And they, it, was, it was great. They were naked and they were unashamed, the scripture says, if you can imagine that. Things were great. They were perfect, as good as they've ever been. But then you have Genesis 3 that comes into the picture and uh, Adam and Eve rebelled. And that is passed down through all of humanity. We are all sinners and rebels now as a result of that first sin. So God removes them from the Garden of Eden as a consequence because they are no longer holy because they have sinned and God is holy. And so they, he removes them from the Garden, um, but he still loves them and he still wants to be with them. And so throughout the rest of the Old Testament, um, you see God, um, his presence made known to humanity, to human beings. And some of, sometimes his presence is good news for the people he shows up to. And sometimes it's not good news. Sometimes it's for judgment. And we see this pattern throughout the whole Old Testament. You see in the wilderness when God's people, the Israelites, were wandering. God showed up to them in a cloud and during the day in a pillar of fire by night. He, he revealed himself to them in that moment. A little bit later, you have the tabernacle being built. God's presence was contained in the Ark of the Covenant. You had the tabernacle. Then you had the temple. And then God, throughout this whole time, is, is, is governing through kings and speaking through prophets. And God desires to be with his people. He's always done. He's always found a way to do that. But over and over and over throughout from Adam and Eve moving forward from Genesis 3, humanity has continued to turn their backs on God. All of us in this room have gone our own way. We've done our own thing. Uh, most of us, maybe even today, if you're like me, you, you chose to do something that was probably uh, not the way God wanted you to do, right? And we're all guilty of this. Scripture says we, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, but yet God's presence is still with us. He still pursues us. He still wants to be with us. And then we come to this verse in Isaiah 7, this, this, this huge Christmas promise from the prophet. And he tells the Israelites that one day God is going to come. 
He's going to come and it's going to be a new way. It's not going to be in the tabernacle. It's not going to be in the temple. There's not going to be these rules and these laws to be able to come into his presence anymore. He's going to come as a human. He's going to come to earth. He's going to come as one of you. And this is what Isaiah is telling his people 700 years before Jesus is born. And in this passage, we get this Emmanuel, God with us. And when the, God's people would have heard that after thousands of years of God's presence being difficult to get to in a way, in, in the ark, in the temple, in the tabernacle, finally God was going to reveal himself as a human where all of humanity could understand and all of humanity could see. And this was really good news for God's people as they heard it come from the prophet Isaiah. And then if you go over to Matthew 1, this is another verse that part of the, the Christmas narrative. If you look at verse 20, and I'm just going to read a few verses here, you'll hear the same type of thing echoed here. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus." For he will save people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And I think what is interesting here is that why, the kind of question is, why didn't Jesus go by the name Emmanuel? Right, God with us. He, he never is referred to as Emmanuel beyond this um, quote that a Matthew gives from Isaiah. And it actually, in verse 21, we see, uh, verse 20, it says, uh, I say 21, you shall call his name Jesus. His name's not Emmanuel. His name is Jesus, and he will save people from their sins. And right there, that's his new title. It's Savior. It's Lord. It's Yahweh. It's Messiah. It's the one. Not only is he present with us, now he's for us. He's not just present among us. He is for us as a Savior, as the Messiah. And as God's people would have heard this, remember in the Old Testament, when God's presence came, it, you always had to wonder, was it for judgment or was it for blessing? But here it is all blessing. It's all blessing because he is the savior of the world. And he gives people a chance to respond in faith. It's as, as if God is saying, okay, enough is enough. I'm going to actually, I'm the author of this story and I'm going to write myself into the story. God, I'm going to take on human flesh. I'm going to write myself as a character in this unfolding story. And my name is going to be Jesus. He is with us, like Emmanuel, for sure. But he is also for us because his name is Jesus. Now we get, I think, two primary benefits from him being Savior. One, obviously, is salvation. It's salvation. And he, he comes to offer salvation to humanity, not because we're good, not because we deserve it, not because some people are better than others or some people are moral than others. He comes because he is good. It's not our goodness that causes him to come. It's his goodness that causes him to come. His grace, his mercy causes him to come in the incarnation to um, live a perfect life and die a death on behalf of sinners like you and me and rise from the dead and help... Um, uh, help people um, heal from their sin and captivity and all of these things. So we get salvation. The other blessing is we get his presence now through the Spirit. When you have faith in him and you believe in him, the Holy Spirit is given to us. So you talk about God's presence being with us, right? Like God's presence is then inside of us. 
This is the, the spiritual part of our faith. He, he lives inside of us. He dwells inside of us, the scripture says. Right now, as we speak, if you are a follower of Jesus, the spirit lives inside of you. So God with us for sure. God for you for sure if you have faith in him. And then we also get his presence uh, from this point forward uh, for all eternity if you have faith in him. If you look at Matthew 28, it's a popular uh, passage. This is often referred to as the Great Commission. Um, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Okay, so that's like the commission, right? That's the, that's the purpose for followers of Jesus. Now listen to this last line. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, so there again, it's the promise that he is going to be with us forever. Those of us who follow him and have faith in him. There's really three ways to approach Christianity in my mind. There's one way um, you can approach it from a, or really approach life, but it's how you interact with Christianity. One is you could be a moralist, right? You can be a really, really good person and you don't really think you need a savior. Like you're good enough and you've got it all taken care of and you're really not that bad. So why would you need a savior? Like, right, like I'm not that sick. Why do I need to go to a doctor? That's, that's one way to approach Christianity. But if that's the way you're approaching it, I think Jesus coming and everything we've been talked about, it's, it's, it's kind of meaningless, right? Because there's no need for a savior if you've got it all under control and you're good enough. And the other flip side of that is to be more of a relativist, right? Like maybe it's a, um, all roads lead to the same place. All religions lead to heaven. All, all, all paths are going up the same mountain to get to the top. And if that's the, the approach for um, Christianity and to Jesus, I would ask, um, why the incarnation? <laughs> like, right, like, why would God incarnate himself into our messy and broken world to love people who would reject him and then die a horrible death on the cross and rise from the dead? Like, why would he go through that if the God was like, whatever way you want to do is fine with me. Whatever way you want to choose, you're good. Like the God that incarnates himself in Jesus, sends his only son to die on sinner's behalf. If all roads lead to the same place, why do that? Like why, why go through all of that if everything is everybody is right? And the scriptures say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. So I think the question for us as we, on this eve of Christmas and really building up to this time, um, what, what is, or do you have a need for him? How do you approach him? Do you think you're a sinner and a broken person who's in desperate need of grace? Or is that, is that, are we humbling ourselves to that point? Are we willing to acknowledge his presence that he came into the earth to save sinners, to heal the broken, to give hope and peace and love to people who didn't deserve it? Perfect peace, perfect love, perfect hope, perfect joy. Okay, so I think for all of us in this room is, on the eve of Christmas is, how's your faith? What's your faith in? Is your faith in Jesus? I'm talking to even Christians in here. Is your faith in Jesus? Is, 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 or are you leaning more towards the moral side where you're just trying to be a good person and hoping that God still loves you? We're all guilty of some of that. I pray that you would, you would think and reflect and remember that God died 
for you at your worst. You don't clean yourself up and come to God. He died for sinners. Maybe you're in here and you, you don't consider yourself a Christian. You don't consider yourself a person of faith. I would say, what do you do with God's presence, right? Like, what, what do you do with Jesus? Like, Jesus comes. Jesus dies this death and ra- rises from the dead. And the scriptures say he will return one day uh, to judge um, the world and the, the living and the dead. And there's some exclusivity to Christianity, right? And so what do you do with those claims? What do you do with Jesus? And I think it's appropriate this time of year on this night to ask yourself that question. What do we do with that? So I would encourage you to talk to somebody that brought you or talk to me or, or ask, like, how are you with God? Do you have a relationship with him? Do you have any kind of faith in him? And if you, if you want that, all you have to do is believe that he did what he said he did. And he is who he says he was. And he died uh, for sinners and he died for you. And you believe in that and put your hope and faith and trust in him. This is how you become a follower of Jesus. Once again, I'll say it over and over because I think this is, this, is, uh, this is one of those things that I think we, we, we hear a lot or we think a lot, but Christianity is not for the clean and the neat and the moral. It's for people who are desperate need of a savior, who know they don't have it together, who are broken and messed up and just trying to put one foot in the other in life. This is what the grace of God is. This is what the mercy of God is. So that is the gospel. That is the good news. And I want to end with this quote tonight uh, from uh, Charles Spurgeon, um, a uh, a great pastor, um, English pastor, And uh, I'll pray after I read this quote. The quote will be up on the screen so you can read along with me. God is with us. It is hell's terror. Satan trembles at the sound of it. The black-winged dragon of the pit quails before it. Let him come to you suddenly, and do you but whisper that word, God, with us. Back he falls, confounded and confused. Spurgeon's talking of, of Satan there. God with us is the laborer's strength. How could he preach the gospel? How could he bend his knees in prayer? How could the missionary go into foreign lands? How could the martyr stand at the stake? How could the confessor own his master? How could men labor if that one word were taken away? God with us is the sufferer's comfort, the balm of his woe, the alleviation of his misery, the sleep which with God gives to his beloved. Their rest after exertion and toil, God with us is eternity's sonnet. Heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. That's the good news. That's what we remember. I pray that our thoughts and our minds would go to the good news tonight um, and tomorrow as we celebrate Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you. Uh, for your word. I thank you that uh, on Christmas, um, we don't have to, to try to get up here and, and make something up or um, try to be overly creative and come up with, with clever ideas, but the, the story in the Bible says it all because it's the most wonderful, radical story that we could ever see or know that a perfect God would come out of heaven to live in this world, to die for people who really didn't care about him, who he got nothing from, and that purely by his love and his grace and his mercy, sinners get to live with him, get to be adopted, get to, get to receive the benefits of being a son and daughter of God. And we're so thankful for that. 
We're thankful for your word that you've communicated to us in your word, and we have your word to be able to continue, continually remind ourselves of the good news and of your grace and of your mercy and who you are. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>